there and welcome to another episode on Design to Connect. Today's episode is a very special one. We're taking you all the way to Rwanda, where today's guest, Carly Altoff, the Managing Director of Journeyman International, is based. Hi, Carly, and how are you today? Hi, how are you? I'm, I'm fantastic. It's uh, early morning here in Rwanda, so just starting off the week and feeling really good. Well, good yeah. morning. Good morning. Yeah, exactly saying that, that it's early morning there. Should we say what time is it like all around? <laughs> like now, Hadil yeah. in Toronto, <laughs> what time is it there? Uh, it's 1.30 a.m. Okay. And Carly, you're 8.30 a.m. Yes. And yeah, I'm in 7.30. So yeah, but, but I can see the sunlight, you know, the yellow sunlight that I don't <laughs> see it much here in Milan. So I'm actually <laughs> jealous of the, <laughs> the warm weather around there. Uh, but uh, putting my jealousy aside, uh, I think we can, uh, we can start by introducing you to our listeners today. Uh, so they know better who you are also, and then we can go on with our conversation. So Carly, um, you're not just an architect. Uh, today we're going to be talking, as I mentioned before, uh, with someone that's integrated the social activism with architecture. You're the managing director of Journeyman International, uh, which is a volunteer-based humanitarian design organization um, that provides affordable architectural services to support construction efforts across the aid and development sectors in over 40 countries. You've started your career in California, but then you moved to East Africa to establish a network and regional hub for humanitarian design and aiming to do the same in more regions around the world. And that's why we are very excited about our conversation today, because we feel that you took on the route that we have always thought of and dreamt of, and we're very excited to learn from you. So welcome to our interesting conversation today. You will make it interesting, <laughs> for sure. <laughs> so, uh, okay, starting with the first question, just listening to your bio makes me think about like your personal story. Like as Hadil was saying, I think this is the exact story that many of us had in mind, you know, that wanted to move maybe to Africa, have this experience, these community-based experiences uh, for some years. And uh, maybe one thing led to another, some did it and some didn't do it. Uh, so um, I wanted to start with asking you about your personal story of how you started like your, let's say, architecture career in um, California, and uh, then you decided to move to South Africa. What was it that made you like to want to choose this path? If you can tell us a little bit about your personal journey. <laughs> yeah. yeah, absolutely. Um, I'd love to start out by just saying it was not easy and it was not smooth. <laughs> it's very much like life itself. I think we can all say it's a bit messy and we don't expect uh, to be where we are sometimes. But um, yeah, I guess my story would start uh, in the middle of university when I was I was studying abroad in Australia. And it was, I think, my third, no, fourth year um, in architecture school, which was a five-year program, uh, the school that I went to. 
And um, so I was thinking, kind of taking time to think about what I wanted to do after I graduate, which many of us do in that stage of our university. And uh, I remember coming across um, a few a few books and resources that talked about this idea of humanitarian architecture. Um, and like one of the books was, was um, from like uh, architecture for humanity called design like you give a damn and I was like oh I can't I can't I, this, this sounds really interesting and it grabbed my attention and um, and I looked at it and I thought oh my gosh I didn't know that this was an an outlet for my my career my my skill set and it was something that I'd always really been passionate about observing uh, kind of the humanitarian space and development. And, um, and I've always had this desire to go and experience the world and to understand different cultures and, um, and to do something that, that really helped people. And, and, and I did see architecture as a, as a solution to this, but I don't really know how. And so that was the beginning, that time in Australia, I really spent like digging into myself and thinking, okay, like, is this something that I want to pursue? How am I going to pursue it? I didn't see any options at the time, besides just a few different organizations doing this work. But when I went back to my, my university in California, I, I heard of a, a friend of a friend of mine who was, I think, recently graduated from the same school, and he had just started up an organization, a nonprofit that pairs students with uh, organizations in the humanitarian sector or doing some kind of development, nonprofit work in different countries. And um, this was architecture students, architectural engineering, construction, creating teams and um, kind of matchmaking them with these, these needs. And, and I thought, oh, this is perfect. It's right, it's right in front of me, this opportunity. So I decided for my final year in university, I would, um, I would use my thesis design project um, which everyone has the full year to complete. And I would focus on this idea of humanitarian need and how architecture uh, can play a part in you know, solving various issues and crises that we see, uh, particularly disaster relief. So I, um, in my fifth year during this project, I was through this organization, Journeyman International, which I am now working for, um, I was paired with this uh, organization based in the Philippines, and it was right after Typhoon Haiyan or Yolanda in 2013. Um, and so I, um, I dove into research and uh, was was able to travel to the site also um, in beginning of 2015, so right at the turn of the year, and it was still um, it was still very apparent that this place, um, this uh, location was um, in Tacloban, which is on the Leyte Island, like the most uh, heavily affected by this typhoon. And you could still see that it was it was still recovering, you know, more than a year later after the typhoon. So um, so that was something that I was really struck by when seeing the built environment so affected by natural disaster and climate change and the impacts of that um, in in this place. I was really inspired to 
understand more the impact that architecture has to mitigate the negative effects of crisis and what it has on people who need a refuge and need a space to feel safe and home and uh, comfortable and cared for. And this began my research and kind of going into my career, fast forward, I finished the project design at the end of the year and handed it over to this organization. And they ended up building it within the next several months to a year. And um, that was so amazing to see as a recent graduate, to see a project that I had poured my heart into come to life. And I, I watched it through social media, through Facebook posts and, um, and saw the finished product, which fast forward again, five years later, I was able to visit it and see you know, the people living in the space and, and occupying it and the impact that it had on the community after multiple typhoons had then come to pass since then, since the first, uh, or the, not the first, but the, the one in 2013. So, um, yeah, so this kind of changed the, the trajectory of what I thought would just be a typical uh, kind of corporate architecture trajectory and, um, and while I still did, I did get my, my first job in a more traditional office um, in, in Los Angeles, I was still volunteering for, for Journeyman International or JI as we call it. And during this time, the first few years of my career, I was building my skills and taking my license exams and getting experience in this company and and also you know paying off my student loans and trying to be responsible adults <laughs> and and move into this more independent uh stage of life um i was still really really passionate about the humanitarian space and so i stayed involved as a volunteer for um for a few years until a new project came along <clears throat> that i was asked to jump into and this project was in rwanda and I thought, hmm, never, never been to Africa before. This sounds really interesting. I don't know much about it. But then um, the further I got into this project and the further the, the founder, my friend Daniel, was pulling me deeper into the organization as kind of a project manager, administration uh, person. It was just, <laughs> just him and me running you know, many projects around the world, coordinating different volunteers and different projects. And, um, and I was asked to design uh, kind of an expansion of this multi-purpose community space in Rwanda. And so I uh, was really lucky to be able to visit the site. And at this time I'm still working full-time in California, but I went for a short trip to Rwanda, first time in Africa, um, very, new to everything and uh and as soon as i touched down here i just fell in love um and loved the culture loved the um the, just the community and the environment and everything about rwanda which became all like all of africa i just fell in love with and um unfortunately had to go back to California. Um, and I just felt this, this tension, like, ah, but I need to be there. I need to go back and I'm going to go back. I had this feeling that I would be, I would be drawn back in, but I didn't know how. So I just kind of waited patiently for the coming months to pass and like, um, kept working on this project, just pouring my heart into it and um, and designing a community space, having met the people and understanding the needs and things like that. 
And it's a very rural area in the north uh, where they, they uh, we built a library for them. Um, and they wanted like a community space for different churches and gatherings and like trainings and things like this uh, and a play area for the kids. Um, and so, yeah, just, it was, it was again, just so meaningful to be part of something that, that, um, that made a bigger impact on people's lives than, than I was seeing on my day to day in California. And, um, eventually, so the founder, Daniel approached me and said, okay, so there's, there's kind of this idea brewing between us and this, uh, one of our partners in Rwanda that what if we sent someone from, from Journeyman to go to, East Africa to be based in Rwanda for a little while and build up a network and see if we can find people on the ground to um, coordinate things. For the time being, it would be me and I would go and um, and uh, kind of like look around for different projects and different people who might be able to help us and uh, you know find volunteers, find different organizations that we could partner with. and. Um, and kind of see what happened. So it was a very open-ended, like what if very kind of rough idea of what if we tried something and and just see see if this experiment works. If we can have a team in Africa made up of African professionals, how much better would it be to coordinate projects in this region with local expertise, people who understand the culture and the um, policies and uh, everything around that. And um, so I spent, uh, well, first, it was very easy for me to make that decision. <laughs> so I just, you know, dropped everything. I quit my job in California. I sold everything, like, I narrowed my life down, simplified, and just moved over for an indefinite period of time. I didn't know how long I would be in Rwanda. Um, maybe, maybe maximum two years. Here I am four and a half years later. But... Um, I, I didn't really know what the what the result would look like, but I just decided to give it a try. Um, and because I was willing, uh, this opportunity came up and I took it, I said, yes, I could have said no, and I could have stayed comfortable, but um, I decided to take a big step out of my comfort zone and and kind of risk uh, this, this adventure. So, um, yeah, so I, for the first few years here, honestly, it was really hard. And I was trying to trying to network and meet with people and and work with the university in Rwanda that has an architecture program. Uh, luckily, this was a great connection to have because some of the students um, were able to do internships with me and I was able to kind of integrate the same model that we had in the United States when I started and kind of build the same program in Rwanda and that started to grow and over time you know networking with different organizations like nonprofits working even in Uganda and Kenya Malawi South Africa we started to spread further and further outside of Rwanda while digging deeper roots in here so um so I started to see okay this is this is a more permanent situation than I thought it would be. And uh, I stuck around and I, um, during during the pandemic actually in 2020, when, um, when COVID hit here, there was a very long lockdown period where um, 
I, I had just this, this feeling like, okay, I need to, I need to make this, I, I feel like I need to make this bigger than myself because for a few years, it was just me coordinating everyone and, and kind of managing all the projects myself and, and kind of moving, moving this organization into a space where we needed more people to help. Um, so I, I decided uh, in 2020 to kind of use that time to build up a framework for a company, like a local business in Rwanda that we could use um, as a branch of the organization to kind of start hiring people and, and build the team and, and be able to contribute to professional development here in Rwanda because I saw that was a need um, in the architectural industry. And yeah, then it became a, a company, a business. And then the last, the last couple of years have been, you know, growing that and digging deeper and building a sustainable model that would be able to outlast me. Um, and, and kind of experimenting with this idea that maybe if, um, if we implement this strategy in different parts of the world, we could have teams, not necessarily businesses, but we could have teams um, coordinating humanitarian projects through volunteer work, through in-house design, um, and, and kind of spread this movement across the world. And so it's just since I came to Rwanda, it's become a bigger and bigger vision. Um, and the more people I meet, like both of you who are so passionate about this kind of work, um, the more I see there's potential to build networks in different places. So that's kind of what the, the future is looking like. And, um, and yeah, where I am right now is just, yeah, things are going really well. And, and we have an incredible and talented team here managing projects. So, um, yeah, so it's been a crazy journey and a bit uh not a straight line <laughs> but but it's uh, it's been great wow thank you and i think uh i think it's it this is the idea that we have in our minds that once you have a plan for something it, it needs to go flawlessly and then the fact that you shared mm -hmm. the, your journey with us it was just reassured us that no matter how much planning we do on on uh, on how we imagine our lives is going to turn out to be it's not nothing like that so we might as well take some risks uh and like you said you said experiment i really like that word because we're really experimenting here we don't know what's going to happen but that experimentation if you put your heart and your soul to it it's going to lead you somewhere so beautiful and um those are some of the reflections i was reflecting on while you're like sharing your journey with us and it actually leads to um our next question, because the more that we talk to people and the more we learn more about the different backgrounds and the different cultures, we realize that we are actually way more connected than we think we are, especially when we want to talk about like the West and the East cultures, right? And based on your experiences, um, what are the things that you felt that shaped you and you learned from the Western culture and shaped your vision and your approach to architecture and you took with you and then if you were to take the things that you learned from the places the place you are in right now and take back to the western world and would you think that with the advantages that we're living today with the social media and the technology that we can actually start collaborating to bridge those gaps between cultures to actually help 
one another, integrate and learn from one another, right? So take the strength of the Western to apply it in the Eastern world and take the strength of the Eastern world and apply it in the Western world. I could have made my question much more easier, but <laughs> here you go. Totally, totally get that. Um, yeah, and that's such an amazing question uh, because it's something, something that we've been talking about as a society in this world that's becoming so globalized and so connected through these things you're talking about, like social media, where, where we're seeing differences between our, our different cultures all around the world. And we're trying to find ways to, to connect in ways that are positive rather than, you know, conflicting. And um, yeah, and I've definitely learned, uh, I've learned by trial and error um, that there's so much we can learn from these cultures that we, that we might not uh, like have an expectation to learn from. And I think what we're socially conditioned in the West is that we're like, we're obligated to go out there and save the world, like from its demise. We're, we're supposed to go out and, you know, help the less fortunate, which is a well-meaning idea. And I think it's, um, it's, a uh, it's great to want to, to help people and, um, to want to make an impact in the world. But I think, um, when, when you create this, this kind of this otherness of you know we the more fortunate the the more um uh like the more able you know able to go into different parts of the world and um and you know work with other communities like work with people who might be like in uh in need or in crisis uh we we feel this this sense of like um, like hierarchy or like uh, I'm trying to think of the word um, patronizing like privileged yeah patronizing yeah a little bit and um, and I think something that I've learned in my own experience is just how um, like how much capacity and how much uh, how much wealth exists in different professional networks in places that we call the developing world or the East. Um, and yeah, since, since, since coming to a different country and a different culture, um, I've learned that there's so much that I don't know. There's so much that I can learn from, from the professionals that I'm working with in Rwanda and same goes anywhere, you know, um, that, that in, maybe instead of creating this gap between us from the west and them in the east why don't we work together and start to collaborate from different sides of the world from different expertise and different cultures and and that's sort of the direction that our organization has evolved into from from starting off with this model of from this university you know sending students from the university to different parts of the world um, it's great to expose them to different cultures and ways of life and expand their worldviews and um, even in both directions you know people can learn from each other um, by this kind of cross-cultural experience but then as as I started to see, you know, what what potential there is in working with local professionals in these other other parts of the world, um, I, I started to kind of try to shift this model from having, you know, 
having volunteers from the West or from the United States or Europe or wherever go to these places in the developing world um, to more engaging with local professionals in country, different countries in the developing context and sending them to the US or sending them to, or engaging them in projects in their home region or abroad and starting to mix that that model and localize more the expertise that we employ in the design world and with, with humanitarian needs. So, because the, the people in these contexts understand so much better than we across the world understand how to deal with these and create, you know, solutions to, to crises and, um, and social issues and environmental issues and things like that. So, so our, our model has shifted to become a lot more inclusive and and have a lot more exchange between like the east and the west or um yeah so i've learned a lot <laughs> uh, thank you so much and yeah exactly this patronizing feeling also some i mean a lot of times leads to not having that feeling of curiosity or to, to be able to learn from each other because you always think that you are the one who, who knows the best and you're the one who has to lead others. And then uh, it, it doesn't let this learning between the communities to, to happen because we are mm -hmm. creating a pedestal culture as, as we are doing for, for everything. Um, mm -hmm. But yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. And it's, it's not that uh, as if there is no problem in the West, maybe especially in terms of social issues. We have more issues in the West mm. with the loneliness and the individualistic way of living and everything. And for so many things, I mean, me and Hadil, we are both coming from East and living in the West. And I think for so many things, uh, Western culture could could learn from East just in, in the way of how to be happy, how to have connections, even with your family members, with your close ones, you know? Uh, just meet and you know I don't know uh, this like modern individualistic life in the West uh, is creating mm -hmm. so many social issues in different levels also but of course there are problems also in the East so uh, mm -hmm. there should be that exchange for sure as you as you mentioned also uh, but um, going a bit into deep deeper into like having a humanitarian career Something that uh, Hadil and I um, discuss a lot is uh, uh, how sustainable this model of uh, seeing humanitarian jobs as voluntary work is, because um, at the end of the day, uh, all of us need to gain money. That's the reality of the world. Mm -hmm. And uh, if we want these social changes, these issues that exist in the in the world to to improve, we need to pay the ones who are doing it, you know, and uh, because they have to live their lives. So um, we wanted to ask you about uh, how we can uh, change this month's mindset around humanitarian work uh, to to not to see it as a voluntary job, but as a job. And mm -hmm. uh, we know that, for example, also in the West, there are some corporate firms that they they take some projects that are called like pro bono, but because they they don't take enough fundings at the end, the projects stop where they have been, and it it never goes forward uh, because there is not enough funding for social work. So um, yeah, we wanted to ask you about your opinion about that. Yeah. 
Yeah, another great, great question. Um, and I completely understand that struggle where, you know, we working in the architectural fields see this tension between wanting to give, you know, give our skills to worthy causes and and maybe support projects that that might not pay as much as we need to survive. And there's just there's just kind of tension in our careers where where many people feel stuck and like they can't they can't give their hearts into something that that's really meaningful and purposeful but i think a lot of this lies in your mindset and your ability to create a humanitarian career out of what you're maybe already doing um or finding ways to get involved uh in this kind of work and integrating it into your work um and i think first of all like architects must use a certain level of humanitarian mindset in all that they do. I think our world is becoming a place of more and more need, more and more crisis, and and many people are seeing these crises like on their front door, you know, with homelessness epidemics, climate change situations, and different crises that um, that we as as professionals and more of a developed uh, context are are seeing needs that um, that require design expertise and um, and our skill sets and um, and I think I think this mindset can be applied in any context and um, and in such a connected world we're exposed to so much and we have opportunities to to integrate humanitarianism into our work um, and so I think like if if your work is purely commercial and you find yourself working for a company or running a company that um, that doesn't really have the capacity for you know or to capacity to work with NGOs and that kind of thing, then then find a way to give back and like find creative ways to get involved with um, with different needs in your own area and. Um, and kind of like shift that mindset from being purely a, a business model to to being something that's more holistically impactful or socially impactful uh, in your community. And um, if but if you have the ability to kind of shape the vision of your work, um, then look deeply into the ways that your work can have a more holistic humanitarian or social impact in that inherent work. Um, and that that could look like you know gender disability social inclusivity in your design climate sensitive design um and and different techniques that architects can use to to make the world a little bit better um you know project by project i think i think there are ways that we we underestimate the amount of opportunity um that we have to integrate humanitarianism into our work as it already is um, no matter where you are, and not not all stories look like mine, where you you know take a step into the unknown and just like move across the world and um, and experiment with you know uh, nonprofit work. Um, and I understand that I'm in a very privileged place, being flexible to be able to make this jump. Not many people can do that and have the opportunity to do that. And so I feel very lucky, but I also see the potential in, in doing this kind of 
work, um, integrating it into any context that you're working in. Um, that could look like getting involved in volunteer work, giving back in some way. Um, but it's, yeah, it's kind of a mindset shift. Yeah, I, and, and also not only, like I think we also need to start looking at it from a mindset shift that we should not keep looking at when someone is given this opportunity as a privilege, because mm -hmm. I feel that you're providing, like you're utilizing your privilege to the use and the help of others, right? You're providing opportunities to other people. So it doesn't, in my, in my perspective, again, it's like, what's the definition of being privileged, right? So are you, you're, you're using that for, for good? So isn't that humanitarian? But we, we also, because we associate doing humanitarian work, there's such a guilt, or at least for, for myself, there's such a guilt when I feel that I am creating, I'm making an income out of something when I'm giving back, right? That, that whole concept of how can I be helping and giving back, but in my mindset, my mind is still business oriented because I'm trying to create like a business module. Um, but, and that's why I, I loved when you said that there are other ways that we don't think about, that it's like still humanitarian and we're still like giving back to the community, but not in the, in the sad or negative image that we have created what like nonprofit or humanitarian work is. Um, I don't know if I mm -hmm. wanted to add uh, comments on that. No, no, you said it all. Thank you. I wanted I, I hearing what you're saying, I want to add to that that um that it seems from my from my perspective here, it seems like there's an emerging sector between the completely nonprofit and the completely commercial um for-profit space. Like the private sector, the social sector are starting to kind of become more entwined and more connected. And there's there's an emerging uh growth of socially impact socially impactful businesses and so I think there's there's a lot of potential in this new sector that's emerging even our organization it's a charity but it's become more of a business um, because that's what it takes to become sustainable in this season um, and I think I think if if we see that as you know uh humanitarian work doesn't have to be nonprofit. It can be for profit. I think that can help with this mindset shift as we kind of transition to this new social sector. Exactly. Joining both modules, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I think at the end, at the end of the day, like all businesses have to be like as a joint model of the two because we, we need to to be more environmentally and socially sensitive in all sectors and we need to be let's say uh, financially also sustainable so i think all at the end of the day have to become one in order to have a mm -hmm. i don't know a fruitful and uh, i don't know sustainable society in 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 all different sectors so yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. Designed to connect. Thank you for tuning in. We'll be right back.
so I guess we are gonna go back um, and we always mention this in every uh, conversation that we have about the importance of the like the the people that you expose yourself to and the experiences and like some of the you know where you've studied and everything because those are the things that shape you right they shape your um, way of thinking your beliefs so we're curious to know from your experiences what are the things and also like when you were mentioning your uh story in the beginning you i i felt that god i wish i had to ask this question now because it's just related to what you were saying um about like the different people that helped you shape your path so do you feel that like there are certain not just people but like your educational route your your um uh, your job while you were still working for, on the commercial side helped you shape the path where you're in right now and do you think that we need to start shifting our mindsets to that to the fact that we live in in a world where it's like the system or the structure of the the environment that we in control us rather than us trying to navigate through it I don't know if that really um if I should be more like making more sense <laughs> is, is is the question kind of who like who are the people who have impacted my One, path yes. or, yeah. exactly uh-huh. like the institutions or the people that ha- helped you shape your path but that goes back to tying it back because it's like we have this narrative embedded in our head or to most people that you know we, mm-hmm. we the structure is higher than us or the system is higher than us so we we have little room to navigate through it right so mm-hmm. based on your experiences like do you agree disagree and what who are the people or the institutions that helps you shape your path basically Hmm. Yeah. Uh, this is. Um, it's hard to to narrow down to a few people. There have been so many people in my life who have mentored me and encouraged me, and and just people even who I've looked up to from a distance or admired through my career. And and I think the the most impactful in general have been those professionals, um, not only in, in our industry, but in uh, in some kind of specialty who have created a path for themselves and thought outside this box and um, who have been creative with their career paths and, uh, and allowed their trajectory to be less linear and more circular and you know squiggly lines and and tried different things and um and uh, and started things and and pioneered and those those people who have either started organizations or started businesses um that that um set off these new industry or these new sectors um, especially in the architecture space, I know there are a few a few people who have you know um, started up these small initiatives that that um, integrate their passions with uh, social impact and community based uh, design build work. Um, and uh, I've always been inspired by finding these these different organizations where people start things up, even in our our kind of architecture and development community, where we see 
we see people who um, either as a, a side project or as a core passion of their lives, they start something that grows beyond their expectation. And, and that just sort of shows the power of uh, defying the structures that we see and, um, and creating something that's new and um, creating a new structure that's more agile and um, adaptive to different contexts. And, and these things, these initiatives or movements are started all around the world. You have like in the most remote places and uh, the most unassuming places, you find people starting something that they're really passionate about that grows beyond their um their intention and it, and it becomes something beautiful and uh it changes other people and influences other people to to make that shift and i think um as far as structure goes or structure of this whole this whole sector that we're creating in humanitarian architecture it's becoming more and more popular and as more people integrate that into their work what I think is really important is that we connect and that we do this as a movement rather than trying to find our own thing. Because as I said, it's great that many people are trying to start these new initiatives, but we, we can only go so far in making a lasting impact, a sustainable impact that is scalable if we coordinate as, as an industry and work together. Um, and I think we can feed off of our the, the creativity of our network. And that's something that I've learned recently in connecting with other people that I'd have admired or um or observed and seeing, you know, how how I can learn from them. And uh it, I think it's important that we keep it informal too, because we see we see these institutions that become so structured and so bureaucratic that it's impossible to change and adapt. And if we keep this this flexible network of professionals working around the world, learning from one another and adapting together, then we can we can build a more successful movement in responding to crisis through architecture and um, and working with different sectors and different uh, different types of people. But uh, yeah, it's like a revolution. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Thank you so much, Carly. Uh, I don't know, Hadil, if you mm -hmm. wanted to first say something. No, mm -hmm. I just um, you you got me so excited. Like I was I was be very tired, but you got me excited because I was like, yes, finally someone like has my energy. <laughs> I thought I'm crazy here, like talking about like, the no, movement and like you know, like we need to do something. And yeah. wow. <laughs> it takes a little bit of craziness to to you know fire up each other and keep the keep the flame going and spread that around so exactly. yeah i appreciate that yeah because sometimes it might just feel so lonely you know like lonely and scary and we really need need this connection as you said and um first uh, it's the second it's the second episode that architecture and development name comes <laughs> from our guests like they yeah. talk about it so uh yeah we should tell this to to rob and chunk for sure yeah. okay this is the okay the the italian um what is it called the yeah the oh my god i forgot the word 
<laughs> car that t- goes to hospital. It's very loud. Uh, oh, like ambulance. ambulance. Yeah, the ambulance. Oh my God. Yes, yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> early. <laughs> yeah, but um, yeah, and and I really hope that we can do that through design to connect. I mean, w- one reason that we started with with Hadil, uh, this channel was exactly this too because we we were questioning like in in. Yeah, we were questioning in general, and we we really wish to connect to people who have done it or are trying to do uh, this path mm-hmm. and really learn from each other because I think that's one of the only ways. Okay, only and yeah. one of doesn't go together, but yeah. <laughs> so, um, so yeah, going um, let's say um, into how we perceive uh, change and let's say movement and uh, any solution in our today's world. Um, we, we feel that like in, in our society of today, we are always looking for the, I don't know, next technology to come and like save us as humanity to solve everything. Like, uh, I don't know, it's we, we, we became very, let's say science oriented, not that it's not good, but it has become as if like it's all we have to to solve you know any any issue that exists in the world uh but uh, we as we were reading also about journeyman international uh we we read that uh like the the idea the concept behind is uh the using the resilience of communities uh, or community-based designs to to fight the crises that are existing in the world and uh, to fight poverty and uh, different issues that exist in the world. And I, I wanted to ask you, why do you think community-based designs or something that emerges from from people uh, could have that power to to solve or to navigate the the biggest issues that we see in the world uh especially as as i said before like in a world that we we are so technology driven and we we always look for a, a outside solution to come like and save us i don't know kind of yeah. uh so yeah if you could tell us about that mm. Yeah, yeah, that's that's one of my biggest lessons that I've taken from the last several years um, of observing different community-based efforts to respond to crisis or disasters, and um, even back to the Philippines, where you know year after year they deal with um, you know climate-based or environmental issues, and um, I found that community, the efforts that come from the community itself to to build resilience and to respond internally have been so much more successful than than outside um, aid or aid coming from from outside, even even from from governments and and institutions like uh, I I find that like um, even the more recent typhoon in in the Philippines, I have some friends who are like kind of working in the same area that I was visiting and, and the same area that I did my project where in the more recent typhoon there has been there's been a lot of need coming from that and um, the community itself is mobilizing and uh, and it's not only out of um, like uh, frustration or you know uh, impatience or anything but it's just it's from the need to 
build resilience internally and uh, you know people people are like gathering together and sending supplies and rebuilding and um, and they're doing that from from the grassroots level and just different communities uh, coming alongside each other and and people people from the outside can still help but there needs to be space given to these communities to build resilience um, because they can because they have the capacity already they have everything they need but there's there's still value in international cooperation and um, and support. But um, even other places like uh, like northern India, Nepal, when they have earthquakes, they have you know people people building uh, these like resilient structures to earthquakes and landslides that um, people from the outside might not fully understand how to build with local resources and local expertise, um, and they've found their own solutions. And um, yeah, and I think. I think most of most of my learning experience has been from these like locally based uh, grassroots initiatives, um, and and I've been so inspired by that. And and it's not it's not preventing me from wanting to come alongside them and work with these different communities, but but it's helping me to set a boundary of you know not not trying to do too much or not not trying to help in the belief that I know better and I think we if we all have that that mindset of humility and we 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 go in with a mindset of learning from the people who know better than us um, how to respond and find local solutions um, then we can we can collaborate so much better um, wow, yeah Carly. Wow, I hope like you you realize that what you said, the, the message behind what you said is way bigger than, you know, like just talking about communities because it's about underestimating one another and underestimating the, the uh, what what we're capable of doing just because we think or we see things in different ways. Um, mm -hmm. And this goes a lot to how we should be like, how we, deal with life in general right we think that just because the way we see things that's how everybody needs to um practice or yeah so mm. thank you thank you for sharing that at 2 30 a.m god <laughs> what a reflection <laughs> i hope you can sleep well tonight <laughs> yeah <laughs> um but adding on to what you're saying so I was reading a book called uh, The Politics of Trauma. And this book, it helps you understand on how to um, deal with oppressed communities that suffer trauma and talks about like, you know, what are the some of the methods of change? And I, I am a huge mental health advocate and I do believe in, in integrating psychology and mental health in every profession. And they talk a lot about, like this book talks a lot about the connections and how they say that for us to start analyzing an issue, we have to go in depth and understand the core, uh, the, the, the core issue. And I feel that in underdeveloped communities, a lot of, again, this is my perspective based on the book and the reflections that I've done, is that a lot of people lost their sense of dignity and worth. And it can really only be created when they feel that they are actually 
participating and recreating this community for themselves. So they are like, they feel like they're participants of creating the, such community. Mm -hmm. But for them to do that, they have to believe in their worth and their value. So we have to start integrating that mental health aspect to work on it, to, to, mm -hmm. to help them see, see that their worth. And I'm curious to see if you believe in that approach as well. And do you feel like, do you ever think of integrating this concept of healing communities first before creating solutions and creating connections and coming up with more technical solutions first? And yeah, and, and how do you feel that because mental health is still such a taboo topic in a lot of communities and especially in like unserved communities how do you feel that we can start integrating that uh concept or understanding mm -hmm. people yeah um well living in rwanda has been a really uh interesting experience in learning about trauma and how communities uh respond to trauma and recover from uh, hardship. And, and this, like, this is a country um, that's, <clears throat> that's still recovering from the trauma that happened 25 years ago or more. Um, and and seeing, seeing kind of the reconciliation and the slow process, but the very intentional process of recovering from, uh, from civil war and um and ongoing conflict even around the borders like we see this all the time uh in even in kigali even around like all around the country here we see we see so many efforts in um recovery and uh rebuilding still now uh from from that from that time and um and I've seen some amazing examples, like even here in Kigali, there's like a, a youth center, a community center that that specifically treats trauma uh, or children who have experienced trauma um, and creating safe space for them um, to kind of cultivate mental health and um, and uh, learn from one another and feel safe and feel like a family. There are mul multiple centers around the country like this, but um, but I've learned so much from my colleagues in Rwanda and my the, the people that I've gotten to know here and what it really looks like to address uh, like psychological um, trauma or uh, social cultural trauma. Um, and, and a lot of that can can be aided by architecture and creating space and creating safety and refuge for people. Um, and yeah, and even there's there's another another project uh, in Colombia. We were involved with a, a project uh, very recently. We're kind of working together with this organization that's that's working with um, like. Uh, like ex-militant fighters and um, and people who are involved in like drug wars and um, and you know rebellion or trying to trying to make a way for their lives and um, employing them in the manufacturing of these structural frames that can be used for affordable housing or uh, like transitional um, housing and 
uh, or community space. And so, you know, taking taking something traumatic and creating something from that, like you're able to take people who are experiencing that hardship um, and that crisis and give them purpose and meaning and, you know, um, like cultivating a better environment for themselves, their families. Most people just want a better environment and find themselves in a, like a traumatic situation or, um, or conflict or something like this. And, um, and like creating opportunities like this project in Colombia, creating opportunities for people to serve and to support themselves can, can help to heal these communities um, from crisis situations. And, um, and that's something that we can participate in. And that's really empowering as, um, as someone like some someone who has a skill set that doesn't feel very connected to uh, mental health trauma crisis, it's it's nice. It's very rewarding to find that connection and find ways that we can we can provide that opportunity or help to provide the opportunity for people to redirect their energy and you know come together, bring people together to overcome crisis. Um, and and like like we were talking about earlier, this is a joint effort. It's not just one person coming in and solving all of the problems. It's it's everyone together trying to come up with solutions to to integrate recovery and resilience in uh, not only the built environment but the entire environment um, of a community or a, even a population country. Um, this can be done at any level. And yeah, I've been very inspired by the projects that my organization has worked on or worked with um, in different communities around the world. We've, I've learned from the communities themselves how to find creative solutions to deal with crisis. So yeah, there's a lot, there's a lot we can learn when we open our minds to collaborative work instead of just trying to dig deep into ourselves to find the answer, you know? Thank you. Yeah, thank you. And yes, as you said, it's it's like it's a twofold process. It's not that you first like heal the trauma and then you start the participation. It's something that that happens mm -hmm. like simultaneously. Like through the participation, you heal. Of course, you need you need a support system to to make the process of healing also easier. Uh, the ones who are professionals, but yeah. it's it's like that it goes together. It's there's no first step and then the second step. Like okay, now you're ready to to enter the I don't know society and to participate. But it's it's as if it's it's go it goes together. And um, yeah, it's a, mm -hmm. I think it's a learning process for all the also the professionals that work with these communities. I mean, it's it's a learning process at the end of the day because. You never know what you're gonna face the day after, and it's always building these empathic relationships together to try to understand each other and like build the best possible solution out of it. So thank you, thank you so much, mm -hmm. uh, Carly, for sharing that. And uh, but sadly, <laughs> it's becoming one hour, and uh, we we have to like kind of end the conversation, but. Uh, before we end it, we wanted to ask you uh, about some 
uh, last advice, last minute advice or tips for uh, for ones who want to start a career in humanitarian sector uh, and uh, yeah, architecture with uh, social uh, care. And uh, like, if you would give what advices you would give to someone who is maybe just starting or is trying to make this shift between the corporate job and the humanitarian sector. And yeah, if you could share that with us. Thank you. Mm. Yeah. Um, wow. I, I receive hundreds of applications into our website from people who want to volunteer, who are working in the architecture field or about to go into architecture from university. Um, and there's such passion and there's such willingness to give back or to support you know, humanitarian work or development in some way. And I'm always so inspired by this passion. This is what gives me energy when I look at these applications um, every day. I, I mean, I look, I read through every single one and I just marvel at the, the capacity that exists everywhere in the world. We have people from Cambodia, India, um, uh, South America, we have people from across Africa, the United States, UK, like everywhere, people are seeing uh, opportunities and, and seeing needs in the world and wanting to serve. And so just like you're saying, there's, there's so much, um, there's so much uh, just expertise out there and people who want to support. And so I'm first of all, very inspired by that. And I want to encourage and like empower people to get involved somehow with some kind of efforts. And um, I wish I wish our organization could take everyone who applies and, and get them plugged into different projects and, and meaningful um, work. But unfortunately we, we, we can't, manage that many projects um so we have to be a bit selective but um i think something that everyone can do no matter what opportunities you're waiting for is is um just find find ways to uh to integrate this mindset of social impact of um kind of humanitarian mindset into your daily work. Um, even if that's just researching and understanding the needs that exist in the world and reaching out to different organizations, doesn't have to be ours, but different, uh, different causes that you're interested in or passionate about and, and just saying, hey, I'm, I'm here to help. How can, I, how can I learn from you? How can I support? Um, and, and that can that can be as a volunteer. It can be as uh, you know, giving financially. It can be giving time and energy, um, and yeah, and and just in collaboration or even just discussions uh, like these, you know, talking talking about issues that we see in the world as professionals, and then finding creative ways to do something about it um, is is I think the first step in getting getting involved in doing the work. Um, because like I was saying, um, like the more impactful work cannot be done in isolation. We need each other and we need other professionals to kind of 
encourage one another and and work together to find ways to you know support um whatever needs we see around us which is a lot it can be very overwhelming to see like oh wow crisis crisis everywhere and want to want to help somehow but feeling powerless i think if we if we reach out to different community in our professional networks talk about ways that we can start something together or get involved and plugged into some cause or uh, volunteer or integrate some topic of passion into our work that that serves a, a, a purpose of, of social good or um, or uh, you know addressing addressing whatever issues we see around us like that's that's what it takes like we need to collaborate um, and and yeah and just asking and putting yourself out there is the first step to that and that's something that I decided to do when I was a student when I was an early professional I just said hey here I am put it put me to work um and I'm willing to take a risk and get out of my comfort zone and that could look very different for different people but um yeah, putting ourselves out there, working together, uh, finding opportunities, and just being creative. It, there's no one way to to get involved in this kind of work. Um, it's it's already part of our industry. Uh, we can see so many needs around us, and there's never going to be a shortage of need. Um, as sad as that is, it's it's also I hope empowering to people who are trying to get involved is mm -hmm. there's always going to be something to support and to get involved with. And um, yeah, I hope that we all go into our careers with a sense of purpose, no matter what we're doing, whether we're working in a corporate office or working in like working for ourselves or just, you know, trying to find something to, to support. Um, but it's, yeah, it's important to keep an open mind and to, to, to just be humble and willing to, willing to serve because that's yeah we have we have this great skill set and and I'm so lucky that I get to learn from people like you and um and people who are listening to this this or watching this podcast um we all have something to give yeah <laughs> I want to hug you right now like I don't <laughs> <laughs> what <laughs> We should definitely go there, Hadil. I, I like. I want to borrow him after Rwanda. Please, yes, I come know. visit Rwanda. And I'm like, I want to know. Like, I want to ask you about the. Uh, oh my God, the statues behind you, because mm -hmm. like, oh, yeah, yes. they're so beautiful. Very intriguing. I collect. I collect masks from different places. Like, they're all kind of from different countries. Or wow, that's like, so cool. Congo Love flag or Malawi that I don't know but I just I love yeah I love collecting little like little things like that very good okay first <laughs> first meeting me and Hadil we are coming through <laughs> yeah <laughs> action plan <laughs> yeah. thank you uh, thank you thank Carly you. for this uh, ending really um very um very thoughtful and you can tell that it was coming from the heart so it, it really means a lot and you know i i i want to add something to it that we should not be scared anymore or worried to ask questions there's nothing wrong with asking questions so it starts with you know asking for us to figure out 
where what is it that we are looking for what's that purpose but you won't get there until you like you said get out of your comfort zone so thank you for um taking your time taking an hour of your day today um to have this conversation with us and uh, as you can tell my voice is dying it's so (laughs) unusual of me because i'm always like (laughs) so loud (laughs) but uh um any final words, any final thoughts? Where can we find you? At, um, you know, like what's the best ap- approach for people to connect with you? Um, yeah, yeah, I guess final, final thoughts would just be don't, don't lose hope in, in this world that's so messed up. I think, um, yeah, I think uh, everyone here should, uh, yeah, just, just yeah, just stay stay positive and and keep your keep your mind open to the possibilities. And I feel so optimistic, uh, looking forward to the years ahead. And um, and I'm excited to see our sector, you know, grow and evolve. And um, I'm excited to be inspired by even more people and um, the people that I connect with. And yeah, if you're if if you're interested in getting involved in any way at all with uh, with my organization with Journeyman International, you can go to our website journeymaninternational.org. Um, you can follow us on Instagram, LinkedIn, Facebook, Journeyman International. Um, you can follow me personally and connect with me. Um, I'm usually very active and responsive trying to connect with people and find ways to collaborate. That's my job is, is finding, finding people and connecting and, um, and filling gaps. And uh, I'm always happy to, to just learn from people and, and talk and do this kind of thing, just kind of mutual, just like empower ourselves and, and empower each other, encourage um and I think I think we need a lot of that a lot now. I have I have days where I just I need someone to be like it's gonna be okay, um, <laughs> and so so yeah. So I'm always happy to connect. Um, follow follow me anywhere and connect with me. Um, uh, yeah, and I'm really thankful and and really honored to be part of this podcast, part of this discussion. And I hope to continue the discussion with both of you and stay connected, stay in touch. Um, and yeah, I think this is a really great thing that you're doing. We really need oh it. God, and, thank you. Yeah, and I'm, I'm excited to see it grow. Thank you. <laughs> I want to do it once right now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. No, and so hopefully in person as well. Yes. I'm, I'm excited yeah. to, to see a lot more physical connection as the world opens up more and more. So yes. oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh. Well, thank you so much. Sorry, go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> thank you, Carly. Thank you so much, really. Um, I don't know what to say. <laughs> thank you. Yeah, thank you. It's such a pleasure to meet with you. Wonderful day. Yeah. 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 Thanks. Say hi to everyone from there. I will. All right. Bye. Bye. Bye.